Join me as I talk with people who express their creativity in ways that can inspire the rest of us to recognize our own creativity. And if you enjoy these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share them. Hello, and welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 42, and I am with Joe Kenner. Joe, glad you're here. Thank you for having me, Nina. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So I'm going to read you a little bit about Joe's bio. I'm so excited that you're here, Joe, because I think you've got a lot of knowledge and wisdom to share on a topic that a lot of us need to know more about. So I'm going to read your bio, and then we'll just see how things unfold from there. Great. Joe Kenner is president and CEO of Grayston, a nonprofit social justice enterprise that creates job opportunities and provides services that enable self-sufficiency. Joe's innovative leadership, experience, and expertise ensures Grayston's ability to deliver the best services possible. Joe joined the Grayston executive team in 2018 as the VP of Programs and Partnerships, responsible for directing Grayston workforce development and community wellness strategies and activities, which I'm looking forward to talking more about with you. Since then, Grayston has delivered millions of dollars in economic impact through job placements and has expanded employer and service provider relationships. Joe previously served as Deputy Commissioner at the Westchester County, New York Department of Social Services and has spent 14 years in corporate America working in insurance underwriting, risk management, capital markets, and sales strategy. He holds an MBA in financial management from Pace University's Lubin School of Business and is a graduate of Williams College and attended Oxford University. And P.S., Joe frequently shares his expertise on purpose-driven business and building a more inclusive economy through employment, workforce development, and social service. He's been featured in a variety of media, including CNBC, Yahoo Finance, Forbes, USA Today, and the Wall Street Journal. Wow. I feel so good about myself after hearing that. <laughs> and well, you should. <laughs> you make it sound so good. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've been doing quite an amazing job. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about Grayston. Yeah, so Grayston is a social enterprise. It's actually a hybrid social enterprise here in Southwest Yonkers, New York. So right on the border of the Bronx, not too far from New York City. Uh, we were founded by an, an amazing individual named Bernie Glassman. Um, and when you describe Bernie, it almost sounds like a, uh, a, a, a bad joke because he's like a Jewish guy from Brooklyn, came as a Buddhist monk, social entrepreneur, former aeronautical engineer. But uh, he founded this organization uh, back in 1982. And it was on this premise, this idea, motivation of how can we create a thriving community and give people hope. Um, he saw at this time, uh, he and this Buddhist community were in the Riverdale section of the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And just so many people that were unemployed for a variety of reasons, but they were all attached to some type of barrier to employment. Mm -hmm. So 
justice involvement, homeless, substance abuse at that time, HIV AIDS status. So that was kind of a scarlet letter for a lot of folks. And he just saw that as wrong. It was just wrong. It was an injustice that these folks that wanted to work but couldn't work for whatever reason. Um, and he would just literally pull people off the streets to help um, this Zen Buddhist community make cakes in Riverdale. And that's um, how we, that was the genesis for how we got to what we call open hiring now. Uh, it was just a way to bring folks into the workforce, give them a skill, give them some experience, and then hopefully they can be on a path to sustainable employment and a flourishing life. Uh, but that's what motivated Bernie. Uh, open hiring was kind of a secondary point, but for him, it was really how do we create thriving communities? How can we give people hope? And he saw it as beginning with just one job. So that's what we've been about for these last nearly 40 years. So was he, I, I didn't know it was Bernie Glassman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very interesting. Wow, that's really connecting some dots for me. So uh, can you talk a little bit more about the bakery in particular? Yes. Yeah, so the bakery is an amazing place. Uh, Pre-COVID, I would have invited you to uh, come see the operation for yourself. But uh, we make now it's close to 50,000 pounds of brownies a day. Uh, so we make the brownie inclusions for Ben and Jerry's Unilever. You can probably see the pints of ice cream for those who are watching on YouTube. You can see the uh, pints of ice cream behind my desk. Uh, we make the brownie inclusions that go into those ice cream flavors like chocolate fudge brownie, half-baked, Justice Remix, you know, Netflix chilled. Uh, but we also make the single-serve brownies uh, that are sold in Whole Foods. Or if you just go to graceton.org, you can order a box for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, they're made by what we call the open hires, um, the folks that all they have to do is put their name on a list. And when the next uh, apprentice job becomes available, they get it. No questions asked, no background checks, no interview. Um, it's about 70 of them that work in our organization of 100 at the bakery. So it's, it's an amazing place. And just the, the, the stories are just incredible. I mean, we just Can you share a couple of those stories? Yeah, actually, the, this coming May 18th, um, if I don't know when this will air, but on May 18th, we are going to be releasing a premiere of a documentary on one of our employees. Her name is Shauna, and she has such a powerful story. And there are many Shaunas in this organization, but hers in particular is just very powerful. You know, a mother of five who, who at one time was contemplating putting her kids up for adoption because she just couldn't find work. There were just other challenges. But for Grayston... She was able to get employment and move up the ladder, and now she's um, she is thriving. She's a great employee, and we just uh, love to see the growth that's happened over these last few years with her. And we're going to have a whole documentary on May 18th, um, so folks should go to graceton.org and register to see it. Um, where she's going to talk about her story, and we're going to learn a little more about her, about Grayston, and then hear from our partners at Ben and Jerry's will be a part of a panel discussion, as well as the student-led group that put the whole documentary together. It's a group of students from Westchester County that uh, put the community college that put the whole documentary together. So it's about 25 minutes and then we'll have a panel discussion, but it's just a, a great way to learn about um, many Shauna's, um, Alvin's, Dion's. There's so many people I could talk about, but that's really what it's all about. It's like seeing those lives transformed by this amazing model. And how does, how do people, even especially people who are needing to find a job, how do they find <clears throat> you? How do they know about who you are and where to sign up? 
you know, and that's the incredible piece of this. And we don't, I mean, I'm dating myself, but when we're not in the water ads, <laughs> we're not in the classifieds. Uh, a lot of it's just word of mouth, uh, but also, and we have family members and it's not uncommon for folks, whether it's at our foundation or at the bakery to have the mom and the dad, the son, the daughter at working uh, in any one of our uh, positions that are available. But uh, word of mouth is one, but we also have connections to our county partners, whether it's Department of Corrections, probation, parole, social services, uh, those folks that pass the word along. But yeah, we don't do any advertising at all in terms of wow. the list and the list. I mean, there were times when I was here, there was going to be 300, 400 folks on the list um, at any wow. given point in time. But it takes about six months from the moment you put your, on average, from the moment you put your name on the list to the moment you get the call. Wow. Which begins your first day on the job. And then you show up for orientation. That is your first day on the job. You're earning a wage. You're going to get trained. You're going to get benefits. There's a union for the bakers. So it's a, wow, a union. It's a great experience, yes. Wow. Now, how did you, I know you worked in social services. <laughs> You're laughing. What you <laughs> I, th- I think you're going to ask the career question. How did I get here? But go ahead. <laughs> well, you tell me, how did you go from your MBA yeah. and being in the financial world to being in social services and then coming to Grayston? Mm-hmm. You know, the career path, it, it was a journey. It was circuitous. And I said, I say to folks, it wasn't a straight line. You know, I you know, like you study to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, I know I'm going to go to medical school. I know I've got to pass these exams. And, you know, I was really trying to just find what I wanted to do. Like, where was my passion? You know, what made me light up? And at my goal, pretty much out of college was just get a job, <laughs> just to get a job and, yeah. you know, and then figure it out from there. And I mean, that's said, I didn't say this at the time or think this at the time, but I, I tell students this all the time. It's just like, you know what? Let this let the world be your oyster, like the first five years, because I don't know who really knows, especially in this day and age where careers and industries are literally changing every day. So just be a thinker, be a learner, be analytical and just be open to <laughs> where the you know, where the roads take you. Uh, but I didn't know. I had no clue. And, and I freely tell people every single job that I've had, including the one that I'm in right now, at the time of going into college, I did not know they existed. Yeah. I did not know what an insurance underwriter was, you know, like risk manager was, you know, sales strategy, pricing strategy, all these things, and social inter- enterprise. Forget it, no clue. Um, so just literally learning, and I, you know, it was very good in all the jobs that I had, and learned a lot. You know, there were some good experiences, some learning experiences, but um, I was looking for, you know, where did I want to find my place in the career journey and. For me, it was really about transformation. And I learned that, you know, personally too, because I'm involved in a lot of things in my church and mission activities and things like that. I met my wife on a mission trip. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, I like seeing transformation, particularly in people. So if there's a passion, that makes me light up. You know, you can't put a price tag on somebody completely turning their life around and just like their whole family changing and the whole community changing. That's just amazing. Uh, so I learned that throughout life and that's what makes this job. And I tell people my first job here, which was the VP of programs and partnerships. And then my job as a president and CEO, 
I could have written those job descriptions because it was just, they were perfect. It suited me. Uh, so, you know, that's why, you know, this is just an incredible job for me. And I, I love it. I love it. Mm, that's wonderful. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't know what it's like behind the scenes for someone who is working within um, purpose-driven businesses, for one, and then two, social justice, social yeah. equity. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that and where you see the the uh, challenges and the opportunities for creativity, since that's our general topic today? Yeah, there's some, and there's probably some uh, myths too about if the purpose-driven companies and the mission-minded companies, like somehow we're perfect, you know, because we're out trying to solve a problem, and we're not. And, and, I, and I would never, and myself and this organization included, we are perfecting, but we're not perfect in any by any stretch of the imagination. We're run by humans, so as long as humans are in charge, you're going to make some mistakes here and there, and you're going to have some learnings here and there. But the beauty of it, and, and as a benefit corporation as a certified B corporation, you know, we do have a different focus. So as a B corporation, benefit corporation, and we were New York state's first benefit corporation, by the way, oh, uh, we have, we have a focus on the triple bottom line. So obviously there's a focus on finance and we have to be successful so we can continue to employ people and make great products. Um, but there's also this stakeholder focus as well. So the environmental governance, transparency, social um, aspects of it. And that's the part, you know, that's, it's a challenge. And this is, it's work. <laughs> it's like marriage. It's like anything else. This is, it's work to do these things that it's work to bring and have a totally blind policy when it comes to employment and have folks come in that have other challenges that have things outside of the demands of the job that are competing for their attention, competing for their sanity, uh, that, you know, we as an organization want to help solve. Uh, so that's a conscious decision that we've made is like, we want you to be successful in the job, but I understand you can't be successful. You can't bring your full self to work if you're sleeping in your car or if you're dealing with domestic violence or you're worried about getting evicted or your kid has a, an issue, whether it's special needs or whatever, and you don't even know how to take care of it or like simple things. And I, and I, and I fall into this category, dealing with childcare issues, you know, both my wife and I work in a COVID environment. That is a challenge. So how do you worry about that and work and do all these things? So that's hard. And, you know, dealing with folks, you know, many folks may not have had any experience um, in an environment where they have to deal with conflict, where they have to deal with taking instructions from a supervisor or dealing with problem solving issues in an environment that's new. And everybody has a different way of reacting to stress. And you have to be skilled at managing through that conflict resolution and, mm -hmm. and those challenges. It's not an easy job. And layer on that, this is manufacturing. I know we're called Grayston Bakery and people think bakery and they think like their little corner bakery where, you know, a nice right. guy baking bread in the background. It's manufacturing. <laughs> 12 hour shifts. You know, you're lifting 50 pound bags of sugar and flour standing all day. It's hot. You know, it's manufacturing. It is as, you know, blue collar and as you can get. It's a tough job, but it can be rewarding. You'll learn a lot. And, he, and you'll be financially rewarded as well. So that's the thing that people may not understand. It's a great story. Like I talked about Shauna and how it changed her life. But don't think that, you know, 
Sean or any one number of us don't have other issues that we're dealing with, other supervisors, the stress that they have in managing a team of folks. So it's, you know, it's a nice story. And, and we're all about social justice, no doubt about that. We're all about seeing people transform their lives, no doubt about that. But it is work. <laughs> and we do have our challenges. And I never want to sugarcoat how, you know, that this is easy by any stretch of the imagination. Because like I said, we're perfecting, but far from perfect. I would think that it would be especially challenging for well, for everyone really involved, for someone who has not had a regular <clears throat> employment, who's having all of the challenges that you've talked about with domestic violence or where they live, that to be a supervisor in that context and show people what it means to be part of a team and to mm -hmm. be showing up consistently and being able to manage their emotions is it takes a lot of skill to be able to do that, especially for people who are not used Absolutely. to that kind of background, that kind of environment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and some folks, you know, if you come from like a Colgate or Kraft where you're still working with that same type of a, a team, um, the, the distinction for us is it's open hiring. So you may be in the past, you may have, or your other job, you may have worked with a group of folks, they went to college, or this is what they wanted to do when they, when they started their jobs. Here, a lot of our folks may not have had any background working, or they're just trying to earn money to take care of themselves. So it takes a, a, another level of understanding, another level of you know, compassion, which is one of our <laughs> core values, yeah. in terms of understanding folks' situation and being able to manage through that. It obviously, it requires training. We're actually bringing on a team to deal with training so that you know, all of our folks have the proper support uh, from a professional development standpoint. But uh, again, that's part of the job that makes us a little different. So you may have had manufacturing experience, but you haven't had manufacturing and open hiring experience. And that's the key distinction there. Talk a little bit more about open hiring and what what that's like for mm -hmm. the organization as well as for the people coming in. Yeah. So for us, I mean, and again, we're learning about this. About five or six years ago, we partnered with uh, Westchester Jewish Community Services, WJCS. It's a large uh, mental health uh, service provider here in the county. We partnered with them to have someone be on site at our bakery. And actually, this person supports both the bakery and our foundation clients. But um, the technical term is care coordinator or social worker, but we call her an employment pathmaker. Uh, so she's dealing with what I like to call the non-traditional HR, HR issues. Uh, so all the things that I just talked about, helping folks deal with eviction prevention. Maybe some folks need to take some time off to deal with the substance issue, um, helping them with child care issues, child support issues, uh, transportation, all whatever those other issues are, again, that keep folks from being successful, both professionally, because we still have to bake brownies every day, but also personally, because that impacts how you show up, if you show up, because <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, that, that was one of the triggers, just a lot of people just, you know, stop coming to work, or we had to let them go because of attendance issues, and then you start finding out, well, why aren't people coming to work, then, it's, you know, it's this issue, that issue, and the other issue, yeah. so it's the employment pathmaker's job to, one, help solve those issues, but 
really take the learnings from all that. And this is all confidential. So, but take the learnings from all of that and help us craft, you know, what other trainings do we need as an organization? You know, how can we support well, the supervisors and managing the teams, but also just each other mm-hmm. in terms of dealing with, you know, conflict resolution and, uh, you know, de-escalating issues um, if they, when they do flare up, because this is manufacturing. So they're going to happen anyway, but again, in this particular environment, you know, it's, we're intentionally trying to solve those issues. So that's a, that's a big distinction there is to having that employment path maker be on site as well to support the staff. So your core values, where do they come from? Oh boy. You know, it's, it's from learning. I have a book here. You were impressed by Bernie. Uh, Instructions to the cook is one of Bernie's book is actually the book that I read when I first started here and I had to develop a strategy for our programs. It comes from just learning the history of Grayston. It comes from, and this was an exercise that president CEOs and boards before me were going through just to figure out, you know, what's in our DNA, you know, what makes us tick, what makes us operate. And also just what do we want to be like, what, what is the type of environment we want to have here? The core values, it comes from all of those. And uh, if you look at the model, non-judgment's number one on the list in terms of, you know, everybody has a story. So we, we don't want to follow, we don't want to adhere to what folks may have done in their past. It's about how can I make you successful now and in the future? So, you know, non-judgment's a big one. Compassion is another one, because again, understanding people's story and helping them through that. Um, But it comes from the model itself, what it's all about, the philosophy behind the model. And then there was feedback we got from prior gatherings with employees too, just in terms of what do they see as some of the things that um, says Grayston. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of outside it put too. And I would talk about Grayston and I would ask folks who who aren't here, who just know of us. I was like, well, what do you think of uh, respect came to the top of the list, you know, empowerment came to the top of the list and my favorite trans- transformation. I mean, ultimately that's what we're trying to get to. So it's, it's really just how do, how do we want to operationalize ourselves and what's the essence that we want to have in this organization? Cause that's going to determine the type of people we want to keep here, yeah. bring in and just how everyone sees us as well. So it's a mixture of things. I wish I could point to one issue. And I was actually pulling out old PowerPoint from like 2007 and prior board meetings where folks were trying to figure out the core values and just kind of, you know, we cobbled together, you know, the six values that we wanted to make sure that we adhere to and push out and changed our mission statement at the same time. Mm-hmm. And were you directly involved in adapting or updating that mission statement? No, intimately. <laughs> As a president CEO, I have to drive it. So we actually had a whole uh, uh, virtual strategic planning offsite <laughs> where we talked about the uh, with the board and the board chairs. It was a subset of the board, but it's the board chairs, the committee chairs. Uh, we have a junior board, um, the, the under 40 crowd who um, a member of that board participated and the executive team participated. And we really talked about, you know, does this mission statement say who we are and you know, are these the right core values for this organization? So it was all, all day discussion around that 10 year vision, three year strategic plan and how we're going to carry this out on an annual basis. It was, it was truly, um, it was in depth, but it was, it was something that needed to happen and it really sets the tone for the next you know, 10 years or so. 
So what is it like for you as the president and CEO? Where do you see, you know, most people in a business context don't see themselves particularly as creative, especially because so many people associate the word creative with artistic. But if you had two or three other words to replace the word creativity with, what would they be? You know, and now it's funny you, you said that because when I thought of creativity, I would go and I'm looking at your background. You've got like paintings and artwork in the background. Those are the things you think of. You think of you know music, you think of sculpting and all of these different things. And, you know, I had said in the past, you know, business leaders, I mean, we are problem solvers. So as a problem solver, that does involve some level of creativity because you're talking about innovation, right? You're talking about analytics, you know, you're talking about, you know, storytelling, which <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's about as creative as you can get telling a story and having a story be compelling. Uh, that's what business leaders do every day. Um, we're delivering, whether it's delivering a strategy, developing a commercial, creating a new product, changing an organization, which I've been going through. And let's not forget, you know, we did have this thing called a pandemic in the past year. Everybody had to get <laughs> creative and pivot, which is probably the other word yeah. that you had to do. So, I mean, there was, I mean, if any time called for creativity, it was this past year. And is there a particular source th that you would characteristically draw from to do some problem solving or come up with new solutions? You know, uh, oh God, there's no one source, no. Um, I like to keep, and I, I always say I have a kitchen cabinet of advisors, just, you know, other CEOs or other people that I go to talk about things. I'm a part of a CEO group uh, that uh, where we hash out each other's problems together. I'm on different boards where, you know, I can talk to some of those members about some of the challenges that I'm having. You have your friends, your family, you go to, I read, um, pray. <laughs> um, so from a faith standpoint, like, I mean, so I get a lot of different uh, resources that I leverage almost, I mean, literally daily <laughs> in terms of either getting me through the day or helping me solve a problem or just trying to come up with another idea. I, I wish I had one source, but I don't think that's realistic. Well, I don't, I don't know that that would even be such a good thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's good to have a multitude of counselors and resources. So I, yeah. I, can, I can agree with that. You know, it, it's, it strikes me how collaborative this, your organization is and has to be. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you were responsible solely for making any kind of change happen, it would be really, well, it would be a difficult role to say the least. Well, then you, you said collaborative and collaboration is another one of our core values. So we have to work together. We've got a for-profit bakery we got a non-profit foundation. We've got different issues and different people that bring perspectives to the table. It's like, we have to collaborate to solve problems because no, no person has all the answers. And, you know, as a small organization, we clearly need to work together because, hey, there was times even in this last year where I was the only one from the executive team at the foundation because we were going through a transition. So you know, I was the president, CEO, the CFO, the person in charge of the, I had everybody reporting to me because I hadn't put my executive team in place yet. So that, Clearly, I needed to collaborate. Clearly, I needed to be a little flexible. And 
somehow find some sanity to solve problems in the midst of a pandemic <laughs> and changing an organization. So, you know, but we made it through it. It's, you know, that's where I, I did learn, you know, the value of just strong, solid leaders. Um, Cause at that time it was just me and our VP GM at the bakery on the executive team, which was once seven and it's now four by design, by design. But um, because of strong leadership and good leadership and teamwork and collaboration, uh, we, managed through a pandemic that you know we were operating throughout like we literally did not stop running how did you do that how did you manage that yeah again it's good leadership it was a good team um and again (laughs) were there days where we were probably yelling and screaming were there days where there was a lot of anxiety uncertainty uh fear because we did that especially, you know, March 15th, 16th of last year, no one knew social distancing and the mask. And I mean, no, and just how this thing was being spreading around. We didn't know what would happen. Like what happens if this thing takes out all of our staff? We can't supply to Ben and Jerry's or the Whole Foods. So what got us through was just good leadership and just stay in the course, just to get the protocols in place to make sure we have a safe environment for our employees, speak to the employees, let them know what we're doing. I mean, a lot of folks didn't know why we were deemed essential, um, but we were. And a chocolate. To, you know, and we continue to operate. And, you know, I would say, you know, thank God that we did run because at that time you had 20 million of your fellow citizens who didn't have a job. Um, but, uh, you know, and that doesn't, all, I mean, that's not to appease people, but it is a way to show that I mean, we are, pretty blessed. And this was a tailwind for us from a sales standpoint, but it was just staying the course and implementing the necessary measures for safety and just making sure people were protected and having folks work from home that needed to work home, but work from home because the job wasn't you know necessary to be in the office. I mean, clearly you can't manufacture brownies at home. So everybody at the bakery was continuing to operate, but we did have some programs here that were deemed essential from the city. So it was just, how do we stagger time so that we don't have everybody in the office at the same time? Uh, and when we do come back in, what does the office look like when folks come back in? So it was, it was planning, perseverance, patience, which I don't have, but I'm still learning. It was all of those things that um, you know, got us through. And like I said, we, it was a good year, a great team. And because of that, you know, it, was a, it was a record year from a production standpoint. That that's really you really deserve uh, congratulations for that because to be <laughs> the able team to, does yeah well you I know you're being modest <laughs> and I know it's also true that you can't do anything like this without a team of good people and yet you're at the helm so to be able to see what the needs are and to be able to identify them clearly and then find out how to address them absolutely that's not something you just can wake up knowing exactly what the answer will be. Yeah, especially when you didn't have a playbook. I mean, we're literally writing this as we, again, creativity. We we literally came up with our own protocol for, you know, what the office would look like when people came back. You know, obviously we were using Zoom and Teams and shutting down the conference rooms and and stationing, you know, the dispensers of, for the, uh, disinfectants and all that. I mean, it was just making sure masks were available, Lysol, sprays, mm-hmm. just protocols for how we would have meetings. Like we couldn't gather the way we used to. So it was, it was a, you know, a different environment, but we had to do it. 
even from a programming standpoint, we could have 30 folks in a training class. We couldn't do that anymore. So we had, you know, 10 or 12 in these partition desks that had the plastic uh, encasings. And that's what you had to do. And you had to sacrifice a little bit. Would you, what would you say would be the, the, what's the best way to ask this question? When things were really challenging, when you mm-hmm. didn't know how you were going to figure something out and everybody was saying, I don't know, what do you do at that point? Again, you have to definitely don't rely on yourself because, I mean, I was just as crazed as some of the employees were and one, I didn't show it. <laughs> so sometimes you have to demonstrate, you know, I yeah. compare myself to like a duck, you know, it's like I might be moving along the water, but you don't want to see what's going on underneath you know, the feet <laughs> paddling away. Um, but, you know, relying on that kitchen cabinet of folks, you're like, well, what are you guys doing? Or here's what I'm going through today. And sometimes you just have to vent, which is, you know, just having somebody to vent to and just say, like, yeah. wow, today was tough. Or this person just went off and I don't know if they're coming back or, you know, this person is crying. Everybody's stressed out. I mean, it, you have to have somewhere where you can vet, you know, some other folks mm-hmm. outside of the organization that you yeah. can talk to just to kind of decompress and then come back to work. You know, the old commercial, you know, never let them see you sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and yet that is what makes you human. Yeah. That being close to underwater mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wondering how the heck you're going to get out of it. Exactly. But again, never feeding. The one thing I never wanted to do was feed the anxiety mm. or feed the fear. It's like I had, but acknowledge it. So, you know, I know we're all stressed out. I know this is a crazy time. Sometimes I did have the answers and sometimes freely admitted I didn't. But, you know, as a team, we're trying to figure it out as we go along. But yeah. just know that we've got the best interest of this organization, first and foremost, and the employees at heart and following the guidelines that were constantly being written as we went along. Um, And we're just learning and being careful. If we shifted gears a little bit, tell Mm -hmm. me about something that was really fun and surprising that just dovetailed into what you were doing that worked perfectly. Fun and surprising. You know, the other day, and it wasn't during, I guess it's still the pandemic, the other day, and this, I guess, being in this position, you get connected to uh, other folks. Um, And I guess at some point I can be more specific, but the due to my connections, you know, I got a call from a Hollywood star. And uh, it was so weird talking to this person as if we had talked for like years. And it was just, and I'm saying to myself, I'm talking to so-and-so and calling me up on my phone, emailing me back and forth. And, and I'm just like, this probably wouldn't happen in a normal setting. Uh, but this person was very interested in Grayston and interested in what we are, we're all about and wants to get involved. And hopefully one day, I don't know when this will air, when this person can actually say what they want to say, but it was just kind of cool. And I'm not a groupie type person, but I was just telling this person like, you know, my favorite movie was so-and-so and, <laughs> Very nice, uh, but uh, it was just it, it was weird because uh, 
like I said, like this is just not normal. Like, it's just, <laughs> but that's knowing, part of the creative uh, process, right? Yeah, but just knowing who this person was, and I started looking online. You know, they got a house here and a house there, and then want, you want to come see the bakery, you want to come see what we do, and I was like, wow, this is this is this is it's bizarre, but it's it's just it was just very cool to just have this person call like and, and, and chat. Just like I mean, we were both chatting like we known each other. Um, because I think we were just both relaxed about it and it wasn't tongue tied or anything like that. I was just like, yeah, yeah, come on down and you'll get to see the bakery at some point. But it was, that was fun though. It was, it was just absolutely fun. And I can't wait to say who this person is at some point. Oh, that'll be great. So have you had, was that the first opportunity that you had for someone who was a celebrity to get interested in Grayston? Since I've been the CEO? Yes, um, celebrity Hollywood, but we've had, I mean, we've had the U.S. Surgeon General come here uh, right before the pandemic. It was actually the December before the pandemic, the U.S. Surgeon General and his team came, uh, Jerome Adams came to Grayston um, because he, I mean, and I say this, this guy would talk about Grayston like he worked here um, and he tells a story of his uh, brother who was justice involved and because of organizations like Grayston, you know, can provide support to his folks like his brother. He was just so enamored of the organization and what it did. I mean, he, I listened to a testimony he gave to, I think it was a Senate finance committee and the guy was rattling off our own stats. Like I had given them to him. Um, It was just great. And we were both, we met because I think it was a panel I did back in October before the pandemic that we were both on. And he came up to me actually, and just said, you know, great job you guys are doing. I would love to come see the bakery. And I was like, tell me when you want to come. (laughs) And that December he came and it was just great to to introduce him to some of our bakers, the the staff at the bakery. And he could see firsthand, we were in a report that he did right before leaving office that featured Grayston as something that contributes to uh, community health, uh, just providing the job and providing the the support. Um, So we were in that report, which was just awesome so not a celebrity but you know u.s surgeon general comes to your base celebrity that's, enough that's, that's 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 pretty that's i'll take it um and he's just a good guy too so it was great to have him here oh boy where where do you see grayston going in the next five years can you share something about that uh, well that's part of that was all part of our virtual strategic offsite planning and those issues were, were what we were tackling now that we have you know a new executive team in place we've added new board members you know i'm new so that we're an organization in transition but um, the 10-year vision is one to just be you know the champion of stakeholder capitalism so mm. getting getting businesses to yes focus on the financials like i said that's critical um but you know we love capitalism but we, we do believe that we have to think differently about how we operate yeah. within that system as business leaders. And it's called, you know, you could call it stakeholder capitalism, conscious capitalism. I'm on that board as well. But it's like, how do we think differently about our business's role in the world or in our community? Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, I'm not trying to solve every social issue because that's not my organization's place. I mean, our focus is on one, the stakeholder capitalism piece, but two, it's on, you know, being the leader, the champion, the innovator, and that whole inclusive employment, workforce development space, uh, obviously leading with our open hiring model, Mm -hmm. but also just thinking about hiring 
differently. Again, what are those populations that aren't working, uh, that want to work, but need support or just need the opportunity presented to them? Uh, how can we make that happen for them? And we want to be, you know, when people think inclusive employment, inclusive economy, inclusive hiring, Grayston should be the first thing that comes to mind. Or when they think conscious capitalism or mm-hmm. stakeholder capitalism, Grayston should come to mind. I know we may not have a forward-facing product like a Patagonia or Allbirds or Ben Jerry's mm-hmm. ice cream, a great ingredient, but um, we have a story, we have a model that I, I we know is very compelling um, that folks should consider and think about as we look at the other members of the community that need the support that's, uh, that we think we can provide. The third, I would say, is having this economic impact on the folks with barriers. Mm. And we've quantified, there's about 10 million researchers told us, 10 million folks across the country that have some type of barrier to employment. So one or more, again, the homeless, justice involved, substance abuse, 10 million people who aren't working, who want to work. And a good portion of that group are are opportunity youth. So that 16 to 24, 18 to 24 Mm -hmm. crowd um, that have some barrier, but that can't find employment. So these are the folks that aren't showing up, by the way, in the unemployment numbers. These are the folks that are contributing to the lowest labor participation rate since the Carter years, wow. <laughs> Jimmy Carter. <laughs> um, so, you know, how do we unlock that potential? And, you know, we were just doing some crunching some numbers and we said, if we could just impact less than 1% of that 10 million, so 40,000 jobs unlocks about $3 billion of economic impact. Wow. So if we could just be more conscious about how we operate in this capitalism framework, think differently about you know, inclusive hiring and, and inclusive employment, and just the inclusive economy in general, by providing jobs to just a small slither mm-hmm. of that group, think of the economic impact that we could provide. So the opportunity is huge. Do I think every single member of that 10 million group is going to work? No. Mm-hmm. But if you can provide opportunity to those folks, think of the savings from public assistance, you know, diversion from the justice system and just the income that's generated. Yeah. It's a no brainer. I, I love the idea of having business be a force for good because mm-hmm. yes, you've got to have the economic impact. But then when you think about the, the moral and ethical implications, yeah. You know, of course, it's got to work. You've got to mm-hmm. be able to make money from it. And yet, as you're saying, that's not the only determining factor. I mean, there's you're 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 essentially talking about human beings. Yes. And raising consciousness. And if there was ever a creative act, that mm-hmm. would be it. Yeah. And there's this whole, you know, the people attribute to a demographic, but I, I, I do think that there's a psychographic emerging where folks are looking for more purpose, whether it's the employee that wants to work in a company where they feel that it's more than just the job, yeah. you know, people that want to buy a product where I'm not just buying a brownie or a pair of shoes or a jacket, but I am contributing in some way to maybe getting somebody else a job or making the environment better yeah. or, you know, offering these opportunities to folks who, you know, 
would have been denied an opportunity in you know a traditional framework. Everybody's looking for that. I won't say everybody, but there's a good portion that are looking for that. Um, and I think that's emerging now. I think people are, and look, the whole year taught, at least me, yeah. you know, folks are looking for trust, <laughs> hope, uh, and some connection and belonging. I mean, connection is probably the biggest one. I mean, we're all talking to, I mean, we're talking to each other on Zoom, probably in a normal environment. I would have been sitting across the table from you and talking. Eating so, brownies. Eating brownies. You better be eating brownies. <laughs> but that's what folks are looking for. So uh, as a business, it's just, and I say this, it's a smart business talent management strategy. I mean, you can make it sound kumbaya and talk about the social and the moral and ethical, but it's just good, just good business. It's just a good practice to have as a business. And P.S. Yeah, you get to have an impact on the world. Yeah, and and <laughs> I agree with you. I think that especially the combination of the pandemic, where people had the opportunity to step back and say, "Well, wait a minute, what am I really doing with my life and my time?" Mm. and what's what's important to me now as well as a younger generation saying hey wait a minute look what's happening to the world something's got to be done so it seems to me that those and not only those two exclusively but those two influences are coming together in a way now where people are asking more about well, what are the consequences of this business you know environmentally socially absolutely and that's uh long overdue mm-hmm and, and, and look, and particularly from a conscious capitalism standpoint, I mean, we want to provide the framework for how businesses can think through these problems. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of discussion you now. Is this, you know, political or I don't know how any business can not be political since a lot of these businesses have lobbying firms and government relations. So it's not so much about not being political, but not being partisan. I could understand Good that point. piece. Yeah. Um, but it's you know finding your role. I mean, our place, and we've and look, we were in a lot of things over the years: housing, childcare. We've slowly divested from those uh, endeavors and focused solely on employment and workforce development. That's where we're going to play in that space. And I'll talk to Bernie Sanders and Mitch McConnell if you if you're on board with my vision and mission of Grayston. We will we're on board with you uh, on that particular issue. And, and that's how we'll play in the space. And I, mm. Again, it's not being political, um, not being partisan, but it is being committed to our mission and our vision, which is yeah. about making sure we get folks jobs and providing dignity through work. Um, and then, you know, that's going to be a debate I think that folks are going to have for a long time. So, and again, it's not about solving every issue. I, I can't solve every issue. And this organization can't solve every issue, but our down payment on it will be through employment. Yeah. You know, it sounds, reminds me of that, that story, which I hope I don't butcher too much, of uh, a man who comes across a woman uh, along the shore of the beach, and she's picking up starfish and throwing them back one at a time into the water. And he comes up and says, well, it's not going to make a difference. And she's, as she's picking one up, she says, well, to this one, it will. <laughs> well, that's true. And, and again, if you take that 10 million figure again, like we can hire 70 uh, folks through open hiring at the bakery, the body shop, which is one of our uh, partners that we've been working with on open hiring. They're hiring people through uh, open hiring at their distribution centers and their retail operations in the U.S. and Canada. Oh, talk more about that. 
Yeah, yeah. So they started, um, we, they, they initiated their pilot back in 2019, uh, Q4, I think it was, around that time where they introduced open hiring as a pilot in the distribution center in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, about 300, oh, wow. opp- 300 opportunities they were given, I believe. And they found that through that uh, initiative, they cut their turnover rate by almost two thirds productivity units per hour as measured, uh, went up about 13%. And they just, uh, they, the feedback they got from the employees, uh, both the ones came through open hiring and the folks of uh, the body shop, they were like, all right, it's time to take this and roll it out to our retail operations in the stores. So Q4 of last year, they did that and introduced uh, open hiring in their retail operations in the US and Canada. And hiring people, half of whom, weren't working in the past year, half of whom had some one or more barriers to employment. And then you read the qualitative stories of folks saying, you know what, I have a strong work ethic. You know, I want to work. I don't know how to interview. I don't know how to put together a resume, but thank God you had this, they call it inclusive hiring. They didn't call it open hiring, but thank God you had this program that brought me in and now I can prove myself. Right. How can you put a price tag on that? Oh, I know. <laughs> so it's gets to your heart. To your yeah. Heart. So it's just, and you know, our, our other friends in Vermont, uh, Rhino uh, Foods, uh, Rhino, they make the cookie dough that goes into the half baked uh, pint of ice cream there. Um, they do, they're doing open hiring. And we got four other partners um, in Rochester, New York, California, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 1,200 opportunities between all of these different companies that are being provided. And again, let's get to 40,000 so that oh, we can yeah. just unlock that potential. Uh, but it, we just want to see more of that. And uh, our goal is to really create regional hubs here in New York State, and right here in our own backyard in Westchester County, New York, um, so we can have other companies uh, providing a, a open hiring employment ecosystem so that when one of our bakers or one of the folks that goes through our workforce training programs needs a job, we've got this whole system of folks whole ready to, to take them on. And let's just create all these little hubs across this country and test the model. I, mean, I don't even know if I would say test anymore because we know the model works. It's been working for 40 years for us, but um, to have it be in other industries, you know, the body shop, I mean, the largest um, in terms of uh, the practitioners, but body shop is doing it. You know, they're a cosmetic, you know, beauty care company. Mm-hmm. We have a custodial services company in Rochester, Giant Eagle, which is a f- grocery store chain, yeah. Arbonne, which is like a, a consumer products company. Mm-hmm. So you have all these different environments, contexts, practicing open hiring. We want to see more of that. And again, it's about getting the opportunities to other folks. What is it like? So this would be with open hiring. That's a percentage of the workers in an organization. So uh, it's not the whole organization, obviously. So I'm curious about what it's like for people who are, who've been hired without those barriers (laughs) and what it's like for them to experience the transformation that happens for people who do come to the open hiring program. Yeah, I, I, I do make the joke because for both of my jobs, actually, I think I was probably interviewed by like nine different people. And I was like, this is so ironic. And here I am going through all these hoops uh, in an open hiring organization. So I think for us, you you know what you're getting into. 
I think that's a, there's no secret about who we are or how we hire. So again, that psychographic again, you, you want to work for an organization that, oh, wow, this is what you're doing. Um, this is how you're going to hire people. These are the opportunities that you give them. This is how you support them. Like, wow, this is a great organization. But again, it is with its challenges like anything else. And, you know, there are some stressful moments and there's some where we may have misunderstandings because your way of using language, even though we might be using the same words, is totally different from mine. Or just your background is just totally different from mine. So we have to learn how to communicate with one another. But then again, that's where the core values comes in, the respect, compassion, understanding, collaborating has to come into play. Um, That's going to happen. And that's why I say, I don't think we could ever be perfect uh, because we're always going to be human and we're always going to be different. And those differences are going to kind of create some issues, but folks know coming in that this is what it's about. And now that we've rolled out the core values, you know, those will be reinforced uh, or rolling out the core values, they will be uh, reinforced and, uh, that's, you know, that's the kind of organization we want to have. Uh, but yeah, there's no secret about who we are, or how we hire, or yeah. what we want this organization to be about. Well, I would think that because it's no secret, you would be attracting those people that we were just talking about. Exactly. We want to see a different world, a better world that's more inclusive, <clears throat> that has more opportunity, that isn't based on an outmoded um, yeah. workforce and workforce ethic. It's just... <laughs> It's it's so needed for this time that we live in where the change is so uh, uh, unpredictable. And it's funny you, you mentioned that uh, because during our discussions at the, our strategic offsite, those were one of, that was one of the things we were talking about. It's just, yes, this is you know the kind of environment we want. This is the essence of Grayston. But at the end of the day, it's also about all right, who do we want working here? Like what are the types of characteristics that we want to have within an organization. Again, that's where the core values really come into play. And one of the first questions I'll even ask folks, you know, when they interview, I want them to tell me about the mission and see how they personalize it for themselves. Mm. Do they understand it? You know, um, I I do not like it. So if people are interviewing, I do not like it when they just say like, oh, I I love your mission. It's like, okay, we love the mission too, but tell me how, (laughs) what does it mean to you on a a personal level? Or why do you like it? You know, does it scare you? Like, do you think, do you you buy into it? Because, and that's, that's who we are. And, you know, if you're not 100% on board with it, you know, Again, we don't judge folks on the way in and we won't judge you on the way out. You know, you might be better suited for another organization. That's okay. Yeah. Just, just can't work here. <laughs> wouldn't like it. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't. It's just, it wouldn't be a fit. It wouldn't be a fit. Yeah. And that's, again, it's okay. There are other organizations yeah. that I am sure. And that's what Bernie believed. It's you know, everybody has something to contribute. You just got to figure out where, you know, that place is for you. Boy. This is, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. <laughs> the more people know about this, these kinds of possibilities, the more they can see how it's possible with a little work to get yes. it into wherever they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if it's not exactly the same model, it's the same values. It's exactly. the same interest in making business something that works for everybody, not just the shareholders. Exactly. It's that's part of the whole inclusive economy framework. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to share with us about what you love about what you're doing? 
what you see is the next thing on the horizon for Greyston? You know, I, I love telling the story of Greyston. I mean, you can see it, it's a, it's not my story. I didn't, I didn't make it up. I mean, this was all, I, I give all the credit to Bernie and the team uh, for the work that's done, but you know, it's just an amazing story. It's inspiring. And I just love talking about it. And again, it's a way for, you know, business to just be this force for good. It's a way for business to attempt to solve some of these problems in conjunction with, you know, community-based organizations, government partners, other businesses, um, and just, you know, people on the ground. Um, we just want to make sure we can bring more folks along uh, for the journey because a lot of folks don't know who Grayston is. Even right here in, in Yonkers or Westchester County, they don't know who we are. But the work that we're doing, all this replication work with the body shop, Giant Eagle and Rhino, uh, a lot of folks don't know that this is all being done through our, our nonprofit. So we want to continue this work and see this work be supported through private philanthropy, uh, whether it's foundations or individuals. Um, it's important work, as we've already talked about, with yeah. enormous, enormous potential. Again, you know, just 40,000 opportunities equals 3 billion of impact, at least 3 billion of impact. So we want to continue that work. Um, you know, for this year and beyond. So, but that requires resources. And we, we want to make sure that we have folks that can uh, contribute and join us for the ride. And if people were interested in finding out more about Grayston and how they could put something similar into place for their company, their organization, where would they go? Go to Grayston.org. And I always tell people you can buy and donate or replicate. Uh, you, can, you can buy the brownies online. Uh, and if you're a frozen food, uh, frozen dessert company, uh, we can certainly have a conversation about being an in inclusion. Uh, but if you just want to donate, uh, that's an opportunity for you to do that on the website as well. And if you want to replicate, and you know, even if you only had a five-person shop and you know it, make your front desk person the open hire position that's one job towards our forty thousand. so you know buy donate replicate or just do all three i like that one better um, and, <laughs> i like that one too but just go to grayston.org and uh, that'll, that's the first step and you can reach out to us there that's great well thank you so much joe for being on this call with me today i so really appreciate what you're doing and that you have the the vision and the ability to carry forward this incredible opportunity for our society and for the world. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure we could have talked longer. <laughs> I'm sure we could. Maybe that'll yeah. be the next conversation. There we go. Part two. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks again. And thank, thank you for everyone who has been watching or listening. We appreciate your being with us and stay tuned for the next episode. Bye for now.